Welcome to the New Life Podcast. We are a church in Masson, Ohio, and our goal is to let everyone know that God can give them new life. So whether you are local to our area or you are just tuning in for some encouragement today, I pray that this episode will bless and propel you forward to live that life that God has called you to live. Amen. It is so good, so good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. Amen. Praise God. We're going to read one verse of scripture tonight. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 37. Thank you for coming to Midweek Bible Study. This is where we learn and we grow and we have great moves of God. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verse number 37 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Amen. Uh, Tonight, a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, I talked about um, this same subject, a victorious life. And uh, I believe that the Lord helped us with that, helped us, helped us to see some things in the scripture that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. And I felt led that there's more things left in Romans chapter 8 that we could talk about tonight. And uh, I started going through it, and uh, there were enough things that we have a whole lesson because of it now. So if you will, we can call this a victorious life part number two. Amen. And uh, we'll just do a little bit of review what we talked about a couple weeks ago about being conquerors and being victorious in this life. You see, conqueror is not really a word, like I said a couple weeks ago, that we use very often, but it means you're a hero, you're a subduer, you're a victor, you're a winner, you're a defeater. That is what a conqueror is. And the Bible tells us that we are more than that. We are more than conquerors. Is the only time that in Scripture that that phrasing is used. And it means an undeniable, surpassing, and overwhelming victory. That is for you And that is for me tonight. Amen. And uh, no one just wakes up a conqueror one day, right? There's a process. We talked about in the book of Romans, specifically chapters 5 through 7 and a little bit of chapter 8. And uh, we talked about how Paul talks how Christ died for us while we were still sinners. And through Christ's sacrifice, we have the the free gift of grace. But then he goes on to say that that doesn't mean that we could just do what we want and it's all going to be gravy, right? We have to live a certain way in order to stay saved. And then in chapter 7, he discusses how there's an internal warfare in all of humanity between the spirit and the flesh. And uh, the three points of that lesson was, first, we must know that it is a necessity to have faith in Jesus Christ and receive salvation from our sins through obedience to the gospel which is the new birth. The second point was being after being born again, it will take some effort to learn how to act and walk as a new creature in Christ Jesus. And lastly, where we're going to pick up tonight, the third point was in order to live a victorious life, we need the Holy Ghost active in our everyday lives. Amen. So Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be tonight. So if you have your Bible, you could just leave it on those few pages right there. We're going to be going throughout the whole chapter and seeing what the Lord has in store for us tonight. Amen. Once again, not coffee, just water. 
I'm telling you what, if, if you drink coffee and you haven't done it with the word and, you know, just meditating on the Lord, you're missing out on some of the most divine, divine times of your life. Just having some coffee and the Bible and the presence of God. Oh, man. Amen. Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 8 is universally known as the most extensive chapter in the Bible on the Spirit. Around 19 times is the Spirit of God mentioned in just chapter 8 alone. Romans 8, number 1, and we talked about this a little bit last time, but it says that there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Remember, condemnation is the punishment, the penalty, the weight, or the guilt, or the product of judgment. Condemnation is often a place where you will feel trapped, and that the final verdict is that we're hopeless, we're guilty, and there's no hope for us. But the Word tells us that we no longer have that guilty verdict upon us when we are walking after the Spirit of God. Paul goes on to say uh, in verse 2 through 8, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and forcing condemned sin in the flesh. He did it all by himself in person. Verse number four, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. The righteousness of God is supposed to be complete in you and I when we live our life after the spirit of God. We have to make sure that we are walking after the, after the direction and leading of God's spirit. And we cannot walk after the spirit if we don't read or pray his word. It's a relationship, right? And it is so vitally important that we stay in communion with him. Verse number 5 reads, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Simple math. If you get garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. But if you're entertaining yourself with spiritual things, with the Word of God, with you know worship throughout your day, you will find yourself following after the Spirit. Verse number 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is the enemy of God. It's the enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, and neither can it indeed be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Our flesh and carnal minds cannot be subject to the law of God. You cannot be a carnal person and do spiritual things. You cannot have a carnal mind and please God. Carnality is something that will never go away. Last time, just going a little over a little bit of review, but carnality is something that's in every one of us, because we're human, right? It's our flesh. The difference is we as Christians resist our flesh, and when we submit ourselves to the Spirit, uh, it is the total opposite of carnality. God will not take away the lust of our flesh, but he will give us, and he did give us the tools to overcome our flesh. Verse number 9 reads, sorry about that, Brother Patrick, you just took that off there. But verse number 9 reads, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And this is where we're picking up this week. <clears throat> Amen. This is a powerful and straightforward scripture from the Apostle Paul. Notice with me tonight how it seems that there are three different spirits in this verse. First, we have the Spirit. Then we have the Spirit of God. Then we have the Spirit of Christ. Now, um... They are all used interchangeably in the spirit, and they're all talking about the same spirit, right? There's only one spirit. Amen. God is still one. But Paul is also making a specific point on the spirit of God. He uses the word dwell right there. 
If so be that the word of, uh, uh, excuse me, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. In order for us to be in and live after the spirit, we have to have God dwelling and staying on the throne of our hearts. So this uh, made me question myself in my study today. Have you lost him? Is he still there? Because, you know, we believe once you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and you've been born again and born of the spirit, that's a one time action, right? You were born again, it's set in stone. You received the gift of the Holy Ghost. But scriptures like these remind us tonight that it's not good enough just to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost once. We need to be sure that he is dwelling on us each and every day actively in our hearts. You cannot lose being born again. Like once you're born again, you did it. You have, you have accomplished that. But if you walk after the flesh or after darkness, God has no choice but to leave your bodily temple. Because light cannot mix with darkness. So we have to ask ourselves, is God still on the throne of my heart, or have I lost him through my fleshly decisions or distractions of life? Our bodies are the temples in which the Holy Ghost resides. Amen. Paul also goes a step further and tells us that if someone does not have the spirit of Christ, now remember, that's, that's God, they're all the same spirit. He says, but if you do not have the spirit of Christ, you do not belong to him. It is through the Spirit of God dwelling in us that we find that, ever, or find that relationship with the everlasting Father. So tonight, there's just additional evidence from Scripture that we need the Spirit of God in our lives. Amen. And just a little side note here. How do you know that you have God dwelling in you? So going back to the basics tonight. First, you have to be born of the Spirit by receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is God by the evidence of speaking in other tongues uh, as the Spirit gives the utterance or controls your tongue. Now, after you've been born of the Spirit, the Bible also tells us about the fruit or the evidence of the Spirit of God. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And he continues to say, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in in the spirit. So here again in another book, we find Paul admonishing the church, walk after the spirit of God. Through God dwelling in you, you should have these qualities abounding in your life. Now this is not an overnight accomplishment, but rather a lifetime journey towards being more like Jesus. So I don't want to get ahead of myself tonight, but the ways that you know God is dwelling in you is first you have to be born of the spirit, the way the Bible tells us to. And then you have to show some lifestyle changes that mirror what we see in the Word of God. Lastly, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Lastly, when uh, you have to speak in tongues, uh, not just once, but it's a continuous act for the believer. And we'll get into that a little bit later tonight. So, verse number ten of chapter eight of Romans eight says, "And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness." Now notice with me, with me here tonight um, the reinforcement of death and sin to our fleshly bodies. But we also have something new tonight, and that's the residence of righteousness in our life due to the Spirit of God. The Spirit is life because we have righteousness on display in our actions. Now verse number 11 says, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you... He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Now we're going to break this down a little bit tonight. It's a pretty big one, big one, but we can take it. 
So once again, he reminds us tonight that the Spirit of God needs to dwell inside of us. It needs to be there at all times. He needs to be there. He also shows us that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that same Spirit, that same power, that same authority, that same name is in us, amen, when we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, on the surface level, this can sound like there's a difference between Jesus and the Spirit, right? But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead, it kind of sounds like they're separate. And that's correct to a degree. Don't worry, there's still one God, but let's work through this a little bit. Why, why did they make, uh, why did they s- make it seem like it was separated? Why did God, through Paul, write it that way? You see, in the New Testament, we have to understand that there is language that shows us the distinction between the mortal human body of Jesus and the deity that was dwelling in him. It was the Spirit of God that raised up the human fleshly body of Jesus from the dead. The human body of Jesus was different than the Spirit of God. Amen? Jesus was born as a baby, right? A human baby, but God is eternal. See how they're different? Jesus ate and sleep. God doesn't sleep, right? So there's, there's a difference when we talk about Jesus. Jesus, we have to remember, was 100% man, and he was 100% God. Amen. It was in Jesus as a human that the fullness of the Godhead was on display. This is why Jesus prayed to God. It was his humanity praying for his human will not to be done, but for the divine plan of God to take place. And this is important for us to comprehend because Jesus was not only our sacrifice in the New Testament. He was not just a sacrifice for you and me, but he is our potential. He is what we can accomplish in our life. Through the life of Jesus, we see and learn what it is like when humanity gets all the way out of the way and the Spirit of God is in full control of our lives. And we're just trying to be like Christ, right? WWJD, what would Jesus do? And that is possible when we learn to fully submit our flesh to God and walk after the Spirit. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me the works that I do, shall he do also. How is that possible? It's because the same Spirit of God is dwelling in us. And greater works than these shall he do. Do greater than these, because I go unto my Father. So what Paul is saying is God, or the Spirit of God, same thing, interchangeable. God was what raised up the human body of Jesus, and those things were separate. This is important to understand because the next part of the verse, he says that the Spirit will quicken our mortal bodies the same way it happened to Jesus. Now, Paul is saying the same way the Spirit raised Jesus' human body from the dead will be the same way that we are resurrected in the rapture if the Spirit is presently dwelling in us. Amen. That's why the Bible tells us that this mortality will put on immortality, just like Jesus did. And it tells us that we shall be like him, talking about Jesus. It is important to understand that this is a scripture that affirms the oneness of God. There is only one God. Amen. But we have to know how to break it down and understand it according to the truth of scripture. We don't need to be intimidated by certain language like this in the New Testament that can seem that it might lend itself to more than one God or more than one person, right? God knew about those counsels. He knew what would come hundreds of years later after his word was already written, but he wasn't intimidated enough by man's ideology to change his everlasting word. Amen. The truth of God's scripture still remains 
no matter what beliefs or language is changed by man. So don't be intimidated by stuff like this. Try to, to search the scriptures and see what God is trying to communicate to us. Amen. Verse number 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, you're going to die. But if, ye live, uh, but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Once again, Paul is telling us we cannot be servants to our desires any longer, but we have to... Uh, work and mortify or kill off our flesh through the Spirit in order to have a victorious life. And you cannot mortify the deeds of the flesh any other way but through the Spirit of God. We could try to use discipline, self-help books, but the only way you can truly kill off your flesh is with the Spirit of God inside of you. Amen. Continue on tonight. Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Holy Ghost is not a spirit of bondage. Amen. Receiving God is not like becoming a slave again. You know, when you're a sinner, you're a slave to sin. You're a slave to your fleshly desires. You're a slave to the consequences of sin. That's not like when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. When you receive God into your heart, it's not a spirit of bondage. It's a spirit of adoption. We have been adopted into the freedom that God can give us to live a victorious life. Amen. And we have been adopted into the family of God. And that's why and that is how we can cry, Abba, Father. And he goes on to tell us how we know. Verse 16 says, The Spirit itself bears witness with our human spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Amen. Powerful scripture. The Holy Ghost dwelling in us is the testimony that we are the children of God. If we are the sons and daughters of God, then we are heirs of God. We have access to the inheritance of God's kingdom. If we are, which means that we are joint heirs or we're simultaneous recipients of the inheritance with Jesus. That is why a few scriptures away here in chapter 8, Paul says that Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. We are the brethren, right? He's, he is our example. Jesus provided the way and an example for us to inherit the kingdom of God. But God lets us know that we have to suffer with Jesus in order to be glorified with him in eternity. Philippians 3, 10 through 14 says, Paul says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, but also in the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. You don't truly know Jesus. You, you can't truly associate with him if you only have blessings in your life, right? We know him in the power of his resurrection. We have his Holy Ghost in our services, but to truly know him, you're going to have to go through some things. Amen. Continue on. Verse number 11. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. We're trying to be resurrected. Amen. Not as though I had already attained. He didn't have it yet. Either we're already perfect. He's not perfect like us. But he says, I follow after. If that I may apprehend that uh, for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark or the example for the, high, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. We surrender our lives in every aspect in order to attain that promised resurrection. 
And Paul called it a pressing and a reaching for those things. But do not be discouraged about having to suffer, all right? It's not doom and gloom up here tonight. How many tonight can find comfort knowing that you're not the only one that has to go through some stuff, right? Makes you feel a little better when Paul says, yeah, you're going to go through stuff. You're like, whew, okay. I thought I was the only one. Amen. We're in good company. Verse number 18. I love this verse. Praise God. Paul says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, they are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in you and me. Amen. What you are going through tonight, church, listen to this. What you are going through is not even on the same scale to be compared with what will be revealed in us in eternity. There is no trial, there is no demonic attack that is even close enough to the reward that is promised to you and to me, and that's eternity with our Lord. Amen. I think sometimes we just need to remind ourselves it's not worthy. It's not worthy enough to make me stress out. It's not worthy enough to build up my anxiety. It's not worthy enough to mess up my mind because there will be a day where the church will meet him. We shall meet him in the sky. Amen. Oh, come on, church. Is there anyone on a Wednesday night looking to meet him? Amen. Is there anyone looking forward to that day, that day where we're going to see him face to face? There's coming a day where there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more pain. There's a city with streets of gold and walls of jasper. There's a city for you and me with gates of pearl and a crystal sea. There's a place prepared for you and me. Amen. If we are willing to endure the sufferings of this present life in order to obtain our reward. Amen. Come on, church. Is anyone looking for heaven tonight? On a Wednesday night in November, I'm looking for heaven. I'm looking for my Savior. I'm looking to the skies. I'm waiting for him to come. Amen. Better than all those things on the other side is there's no night. There's no sun. Why? Because the Lamb is the light. We are going to see him and be with our Savior forever. So I come to tell you tonight, if you are feeling overwhelmed with what's going on in your life, I would challenge you to stand up on your feet tonight and begin to think about what has been promised to you and to me. Come on, is there anyone willing to say, I'm going through some things, but I'm going to take a moment tonight to reflect on what he has promised us. He has promised that he has gone to prepare a place for you and for me. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I'm looking for you coming for me, Lord. I'm looking for that resurrection. I'm looking for that day where there's no more tears and you're going to wipe every tear from my eye and there's going to be reunions in heaven. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. That's a little spiritual condition check right there for you. If you can't get excited or emotional about meeting your Savior, I would begin to question the state of your spirituality. Because when you receive the eternal spirit of God inside of you, there's a longing from the depths of your soul to partake in the fullness of meeting him one day. Amen. The Holy Ghost in our service, the spirit of God moving in our services is only a sliver of what heaven is actually going to be like. The Holy Ghost inside of you is just a little deposit of what we're going to feel when we enter in to the presence of God. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, church. Let's just thank the Lord. He's coming back for you and me. He's not slack as some men count slackness. He will keep his word. He will keep his promise. He's coming back for you and for me. 
Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I'm looking for heaven, church. I'm looking. I'm waiting for that day. Praise God. It's not only us, but it's Paul, too. In verse number 19, he says, For the earnest expectation of the creature waits. It waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. It is the earnest expectation we're expecting. We're waiting. We're looking to that eastern sky. We're waiting for the trumpet to sound because we know that we will meet him. Praise God. Verse number 20, Paul says, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has, uh, who has subjected the same in hope. Creation received vanity, right, through Adam, but hope through Jesus Christ. Verse number 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. All of creation, all of the earth is waiting for the rapture. All curses that began in the Garden of Eden will be broken and creation will be delivered from that corruption of sin. Amen. Verse number 23, Paul says, and not only they, not all creation, not all creatures, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have the first part of the Spirit of God. There's more to God. Amen. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. We just have the first fruits. We have the first part. There's so much more of God that will be revealed to us on the other side. And that's why there's sometimes a groaning and such intense passion like we just felt here a moment ago. Because our bodies, our souls are waiting for that day where we will have a redeemed life and body. Amen. Verse number 24, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what man seeth, what does he need hope for, right? He can see it. Verse number 25, but if we hope for that we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. We're waiting for it. Verse number 26, likewise the Spirit also helpeth, helps currently, right now, presently, our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for, for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This brings us to our next point tonight of li living a victorious life in the Spirit. You see, speaking in tongues or praying in the Spirit is something that should be carried out by every believer. Amen, every believer. Speaking in tongues is initially used as a sign of receiving God into your heart, right? But it's also used in prayer and worship. Just a defining point here tonight. Tongues is not the Spirit. That's just the evidence, right? tongues is that outward evidence, but we need to have this type of prayer in our lives. Intercessory prayer in the Spirit will accomplish things that cannot be accomplished any other way. Think about that. Any other way but through intercession in the Spirit. If you've been in intercession before, you understand the Scripture by experience. It is when there's a God-given overwhelming emotional and intense time of prayer when you're in the Spirit. You are praying for things and you don't even know what you should be praying for, but the Bible says that the Spirit makes the difference. Amen. This type of prayer helps our infirmities. That's how the scripture starts. The Spirit helps our infirmities. This, uh, the Spirit and praying in the Spirit will help you with our present sufferings in our life. 
When you are going through a trial, the worst thing you can do is isolate yourself away from God, isolate yourself from the church, and stop praying. Because that is the very thing that is going to help you in your situation. I'm going to take it a step further and say, if you are not somewhat regularly praying in the Spirit, you're not a very strong Christian. Amen. Now, before you throw tomatoes at me, let's see what the Bible has to say about that. Jude chapter 1, or the only chapter, Jude 1, verse number 20. He says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. You build your up, yourself up spiritually and edify yourself by praying in the Spirit. Just as the gift of tongues and interpretation can build up a whole church in the service, that is the kind of edifying that happens when you pray in the Spirit in your individual life. So not only when you enter the spirit or into spirit-filled intercessory prayer, you are accomplishing spiritual warfare and asking for things you don't even know in your human intellect to ask for, but you're strengthening your spiritual man. Amen. That is, this is why walking in the spirit of God is so vital, and it's key to being more than a conqueror, because we need to be the strongest Christians that we can be in order to stay in this present-day fight. We can get stronger by praying in the spirit. Amen. So if someone ever tells you that speaking in tongues is not necessary, this is what you need to realize. You need to realize that um, whether they know it or not, they're taking one of the most potent tools in the hand of a believer away from you. If someone tries to tell you, oh, you don't need to speak in tongues, that is one of the most potent things that we have access to as a Christian. We need the Spirit, and we need to pray in the Spirit. It is after we pray in the Spirit and understand these concepts that we can arrive at the conclusion of the next verse. Amen. Because how has this happened to anyone? When you enter into prayer and you get in the Spirit of God, He kind of gives you a fresh perspective, right? He kind of takes you out of your situation and you're like worrying and complaining and crying and you go to God in prayer and He's like, whoop. Look at it this way. And this is what happens when we pray. And I, I know this because the Word of God tells us in verse uh, chapter Romans 8, verse number 28. He says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. The best way to get there is after prayer in the Spirit. Because you know God loves you. He's going to let you feel that love when you enter into His presence and in the Spirit. Amen. To them who are called according to His purpose. This Scripture is a Scripture of hope for every believer. But you can only truly grasp it and understand it when you walk in the Spirit. You also have to love God and walk in the calling that He has for you in order for all those things to work for your good. Sometimes we go to things that we don't like. We go through things we don't like, but it's for our own good, right? Anyone's parents ever tell you that growing up? You don't know what's good for you. Same thing with the Lord. Sometimes we don't know. Amen. Verse number 29 he says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Amen. No need to fret, because we see the word predestinate. Amen. This is the biblical model for predestination. This simply means that if you're a part of the body, you're going to be justified and you're going to be glorified. You have to make sure that you are in that number and you are a part of the church. It has always been God's plan to have a church and a bride. We just have to make sure we're a part of that and that we're going to go to heaven. When we understand that uh, if we are doing what we're supposed to and we're in the body, that's how we're going to get to the next few verses that end out this chapter. 
This is what we call an assurance of salvation. We can know that if we are following this book, this Bible, that there is a guarantee that we will see salvation. Amen. There should be a point in a time when you're a believer that you're no longer questioning if you're going to be saved. You're no longer questioning if you're going to go to heaven that day, right? There is an assurance of salvation. If you're living for him and if you're doing what you're supposed to, he gives us an assurance of being saved. Amen. And this is, this is what Paul has to say in the closing verses of chapter 8. Verse number 31, he says, What are we going to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can stop us from being saved? Who can stop the church? Who can stop the bride of being raptured on that day? That's what, he's, that's what he's saying here. We're going to read through the rest of the verses. These are powerful. He says, verse number 32, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us everything we need? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen up again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Amen. Going back through these verses, Paul asked four rhetorical questions after talking about uh, predestination and being a part of the church. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who is he that condemns? And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? God wants his people to know that there is nothing that can stand in way of you having a life of victory in the spirit. There is no condemnation, there is no accusation, and there is no tribulation that can keep us from being more than conquerors. That's a promise. Amen. Through all those things, we are more than conquerors through Jesus. Amen. Because I know that, we can say what Paul says at the end of the chapter. He says, for I am persuaded because of all these facts, because of what I've experienced, because I've been born in the Spirit, I walk after the Spirit. He says, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Does anybody feel that way tonight? I am persuaded. I have it in my heart. I have it in my mind that I'm going to live for God. I'm going to see heaven one day. I'm going to meet him face to face. He's coming back for you. He's coming back for me. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand tonight. Amen. I'm convinced There we go. Amen. I am convinced in my heart and in my mind that nothing, everyone say nothing, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Amen. I pray that this study has encouraged you as much as it encouraged myself. Amen. It is, it is God's word that will sustain us. It is God's word that will help us.
And it's not based on my intellect or my reasoning, but I know that it's from the Word of God, and that's how I have a life full of victory. Amen. And we may have to go through some things, church, but I've got my eyes on heaven. I'm looking for him to return. Amen. Let's just take a moment tonight and lift up our hands. God's Spirit has been working on us on Wednesday nights, and let's receive that word into our hearts. God, I pray that you would help us to understand how we are more than conquerors through you, how you have a place prepared for you and for me. I know I'm going through things on this life. I may have to suffer now, but your word is true, and it's forever settled in heaven. Help us to have our eyes on heaven. Help us to have our eyes on you, oh God. Lord, there's nothing that we need in this place. There's nothing that we need in this world more than you and your spirit. Help us to learn how to pray in your spirit each and every day. Help us learn how to walk after your spirit and not after our flesh. Lord, we want to be a spirit-filled church. We want to have spirit-filled homes. We want to have spirit-filled families. And I pray that you help us and go with us. In Jesus' name, amen.